Hi everybody. Welcome back to Date Night at the Coffee Shop. You're Sam. And you're Bart. And we are so happy you guys decided to join us today. Um, for those of you that like to listen when we first come out, sorry, this episode is a little later than normal. Um, I know, I feel weird. I feel like I'm doing it live. It's kind of strange. It is pretty close because we're going <laughs> to record this one and then release pretty it right much after. as soon as we get done, I'm going to go ahead and release this. Yeah. Um, so this is, the is close to live. The past weeks have been intense to yeah. say the least. Yeah, absolutely. So we've had Thanksgiving, we've had family visits, we've had... Stuff. Yeah, work. I've been working late this week, so yeah, it's been. And this is like approaching my busy season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this this time of the year just starts to get crazy for us. So this this may not even be the last time this happens before. We'll get to um, for a while. We'll get we'll get to it. Um, We'll do it because we this is a good like this is good for us. Like I enjoy doing it. Yeah. No, I have a blast doing this. Um, It's just sometimes a little hard to time. Uh, to find time to carve out to do to record and to research like yeah 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 exactly so um but we're glad to be back at it again um how so was your week it w- last well, two weeks how have your last, last two couple weeks? weeks have like i said have been crazy but good <laughs> yeah um you know pretty good overall uh christmas is near upon us it is quickly approaching as is hanukkah and kwanzaa yes because hanukkah starts in a week. I have no idea. In a week, I think. Um, but yeah, Christmas, I'm super excited. Yeah, so everything is, is seems like every everything is, you know, in the Christmas season or whatever. I get what Everybody's old people mean whenever spirit. they say that, like, time is going faster. I yeah, get what they mean. this year has flown by. But also been incredibly slow. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a weird, like... I feel like once you hit... Timey-wimey thing for yeah. those of you Doctor Who fans out there. Yeah, it's very um, strange. But today we're talking about um, a place I've really always been pretty fascinated with and I would love to go visit one day. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about Japan, um, which is just seems like a super cool place. Yeah. Um, if those of you that have... If you guys have ever been there or if you're listening from Japan, like... You know, shoot us a message. Let us know um, if we ever go. Let us know some of some cool things to to see and do. Yeah. Um, but we're talking Japan, um, and today our coffee is Death Wish Coffee. Um, never tried this one. I'm kind of excited. It smelled super good. It in the did bag. smell good in the bag. Um, for those of you that are first time listeners, uh, what we do here, we pick a topic. Um, any topic really that we want to talk about for the episode. And then we'll also have some coffee at the beginning um, where we try to kind of give our thoughts and opinions on. We try to do a new coffee each episode. Um, so this is one neither one of us have tried before, the Death Wish Coffee. Um, I've always found it an interesting marketing strategy here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's branded as the world's strongest coffee, which seems like an odd... That's like a that's an odd a, description because it kind of just depends on how you make it. I guess. Yeah, but if you read the back, the back says something about how like the way that they roast and stuff like that makes it. Yeah. Um, it's okay. like so highly caffeinated or whatever. Okay, so for those of you that have, um, most of you have probably heard of it, um, or maybe seen it in your supermarket or anything like that. But Death Wish Coffee comes in a solid black bag. It's got a skull and crossbone, uh, skull and crossbones on the front of the bag. Um, Let's see. Warning, the world's strongest coffee. Uh, Highly caffeinated, both our signature blend and roasting process were designed to deliver you that extra kick in the pants you need to get going. Uh, Fair trade and USDA USDA organic. I'm wondering. Hang on, I'm not done. Okay. Uh, Dark roast and bold flavor. So this is just like the normal, uh, just their regular roast, I guess. Uh, But it's already a dark roast. This unique roast has been formulated for a smooth, never-bitter taste with subtle notes of cherry and chocolate. Mm -hmm. Harness your superpowers. Let your mind and body be superpowered by 100% organic ingredients instead of toxic chemical stimulants. So that's pretty cool, though, that they're, like, really all about being all natural. I didn't expect that out Out of of the marketing that they go through. Yeah, so I am wondering... That's kind of what I was going to say, is I'm wondering if... The beans that they grow, or the beans that they select, are beans that have, like, higher caffeine. Like, if they've 
grown them. If they can tell it somehow. Yeah, if they've the grown them to be higher, like to have a higher level of caffeine. Do you I get what know. I'm saying? Yeah. Because like you can do all kinds of things with like not and like not even like genetic modification, like stuff like that, but like just selective. Yeah, selective breeding of like the plants. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's possible because I mean it says like their signature blend and roasting process. So the way they roast, I'm sure, I guess has something to do with it too. Because when you roast, typically you kind of roast some of that caffeine out. So I wonder if they do something different when they roast to keep the caffeine in. Yeah, I don't know. Especially for it being a dark roast, that seems odd. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, but yeah, it does. It smells pretty good. It's. Um, I have extra half and half over here just in case, <laughs> but I've been sipping on it and. Uh, yeah. It's not bad. It's good. It's 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 not honestly I expected this to be pretty bitter. Uh-huh. And just intense. And it's not that at all. I know. Like it's, that's that was shocking to me. I was shocked yeah. whenever I t- took my first sip and like it's really strong. Don't get me wrong. It's very very strong coffee. Yeah. But but it doesn't taste like it's too strong. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, it's um, so strange. I've yeah, never... it's 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 surprisingly. It's and very I mean, smooth. I don't mean to say that. Like, I just I, honestly, I didn't really expect to like it this much. I yeah. expected it to be mostly a gimmick of just being like super caffeinated, and it didn't really not really taste, taste that, that great. great. Yeah, but honestly, I'm, I'm pretty surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised because whenever I took the first sip, because it smells. Like it would be bitter. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, because it has that in incredibly co- strong coffee smell after it's brewed. I mean, yeah, in the bag it smells like a normal dark roast. It smells you'd very chocolatey. You'd kind of find it at at, a, at your supermarket or anything mm-hmm. like that. Smelling it after it's brewed, the first um, the first smell that I took of it, it didn't smell. I mean, it just kind of smelled like. Strong coffee. Yeah, I mean, kind of like, you know, like your typical dad's coffee. Like, it's just plain black coffee to get the job done. Yeah. Um, But the more I sit here and smell it, the more I can kind of smell some of those chocolatey notes, a little bit of the cherry. I'm pleasantly surprised by this. Um, What would you give this one? Um, See, this one is kind of like, so full disclosure, I was expecting not to like it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, me too. Um... I was expecting it to be super bitter, so I'm a little bit thrown off guard here. <laughs> so I don't really know. Um, I'd probably give it six and a half. Like, it's really strong, and I'm not a huge fan of, like, super strong right. stuff anyways. I like the more milder. So, like, maybe if it were, like, less extracted, if we used less coffee, you know, if we used a little bit less coffee and made it a little bit weaker. Um, but I'd probably six and a half. I think it's made. I think the way that it was made is probably pretty accurate, like pretty. You know, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's been made with a good ratio. Yeah, no, it's definitely been made um, with a good ratio. I'm just saying for me, like, yeah, because I do tend to like my stuff, my coffee a little bit weaker. If I would up the rating, if it were a little, like, right. Um, but I, would, I, I mean, it's it's very good. I would recommend. I would give this as a gift to a coffee lover. I really would, because it's yeah. it's that good. Yeah, I probably would. Um, I will say, I feel like smelling it, I can definitely smell the, the chocolatey mm-hmm. and, and a little bit of the fruity, the notes there, the cherry, but it does, sorry, I'm just taking some extra sips. Get your, get your taste down. Yeah. I don't know, this is still, this is, every sip I take is... It's like it just gets better. Yeah, it's very good. Um, it's very good. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like the best coffee I've ever had. Yeah. We've had some really good coffee. <laughs> yes. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it's pretty high up there. I'd probably give it at least a, I'd give it a, a seven. Yeah. Um, it's not, the, the, the taste is not as... Um, variable yeah it's not as is deep it's or not complex as, yeah um it's it's good coffee but you can smell more of those tasting notes that it and, says more than you can really taste it that's true um that's true but you know this is good yep 
Um, yeah, that's a good point. Like, it doesn't taste very complex. Yeah. But it does smell. It tastes good. It's not like it's bitter or anything, but it just doesn't... It doesn't have a very, like, deep flavor profile on taste alone. Yeah. But the aromatic, you know, feature of it, it it's really good. It's, it's It smells really good. Yeah. So, you know, if you're... If you do like I do and kind of like inhale while you drink and yeah, you know get the whole the full effect. If it's an experience, mm-hmm. <laughs> then you you'll, you'll then, enjoy it. Yeah. So yeah, I I would I would recommend this one. So this is again the Death Wish coffee, and this one honestly, guys, this was actually already ground. We mm-hmm. didn't. I couldn't Which we find don't it. do that often. Yeah, typically I'll try to get whole bean all the time, um, and then grind it myself. Uh, but and when the, I was looking for some, I I couldn't find any whole bean. Um, so all I found was the ground coffee, and it's yeah. not bad. I'm I'm really surprised, especially for pre-ground coffee. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. And maybe maybe if we did get the whole bean, we would get more of those tasting notes. Maybe I kind of want to try that now. Um, but yeah, as it stands with the whole bean, the tasting notes are not present. Right. Like the aromatic notes are there, but the actual tasting notes are not as strong. Right. But anyway, so let's move on to our topic. Again, we're talking about Japan today, um, the history and just some facts. Yeah. Um, so there's a ton to cover, like a lot. It's yeah. a whole country. It's a lot. It, so I'm not going to cover everything. I'm probably not even going to cover half, especially when it comes to history. Um, but I would really like to hear from our listeners, like if they know more or like if I missed something, I would really like to hear more because this was a lot of fun to research. Um, okay, so let's go into, like, a prehistoric kind of, like, thing. Um, it wasn't until after World War II that archaeologists discovered evidence of Paleolithic occupation of Japan. So, Mm -hmm. like, that's a really long time to not discover any, like, any remains, any... Right. Yeah. I mean, were they just not looking, or... I don't think, I don't think that's the case. I think it, I think the, like, bombing and, like, the war itself... Like, well, I mean, like, you would think that they would have found something before the war. Yeah, you would think so, but from what I read, it wasn't until that, that t- around that time that they found, um, like, Paleolithic stuff. I wonder if it's because of the bombings. Like, that's if, what happened. Like, if they found it in, like, the uh-huh. rubble or something. That's, that's what happened in, in Br- a lot of places in Britain. Yeah? Yeah. A lot of places in Britain, like, remains and, like, things were discovered because of the bombs and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, or, like, archaeological evidence, I should say. Um, so it's interesting that like no bone, horn, or ceramic artifacts, uh, found in other paleolithic sites around the world have been found in any of the digs in Japan. Um, not much is known about this time in Japanese history, but the period following was recorded much like more thoroughly. So like there's no bone artifacts. Like, so there's, there's evidence, there's archeological evidence of paleolithic inhabitation. Right. Or habitation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's not bone, ceramic, or what it, horn uh, artifacts found. Found in, in other Paleolithic, Paleolithic sites. Right. So basically they're saying that they, in the Paleolithic era, they never branched out anywhere. Right? Am I understanding that correctly? See, that's a good question because what I took this to mean was... Um, they didn't have any there? So, like, found in other Paleolithic sites around the world. So... There's not similarities. It's it makes it appear as oh, if they're really okay. insular. You right. know what I mean? No, no, no. I, I, I think you were on the right track before. Yeah. So, they, so their tools are were different. The things that they normally find in other places. Correct. That's, bone, horn, ceramic artifacts. They didn't find those kind of things in Pelotlith. Okay, mm-hmm. I get, I get yeah. what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, so the next period is the is the Jomon period, which it actually starts when Japan is still connected to Asia through the the land bridge. Um, it's in this time period that pottery starts to develop, and that's exactly what... Uh, so this is where these people and this time period gets the name, because Joman means cord-marked, in reference to their pottery techniques. But looking at the pottery, archaeologists are able to tell that uh, the Joman people started off as hunter-gatherers and then fairly rapidly transitioned into a more agricultural society. However, it's important to note that many archaeologists argue um, that... They are not an arboristic, like, culture. Like, they're, like, horticulturists. So, or, yeah, they're more um, arbor, arb, arboriculturalists. 
So they grow trees and vines, not More crops. Than like, right. Yeah. Okay. They trees and vines are what they grow, and they don't grow crops. Huh. So like, there's kind of like some, um, what's it called? Debate among archaeologists about what they grew. Yeah, in this time period. Um, so, but because they were so sedentary, they grew very rapidly. I read somewhere that some of Japan's customs and cultural practices have roots in this period, like architecture and marriage practices. I also read that this is not one uh, homogenous group of people, but a few different people that were spread out all over the islands, which led them to develop um, distinct differences. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next phase in history is when the, I think this is Yayoi. Yeah, Yay. Yeah. Yayoi? Mm. Yayoi. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Uh, Yayoi people migrated over uh, from the Korean peninsula while the Jomon culture was still developing. Um, the Yayoi people overtook the Jomon people because they were slightly more advanced in their technologies. They introduced weaving silk or weaving and silk production, new woodworking methods, glass making technology, and new architectural styles. Uh, the expansion of the Yayoi appears to have brought about a fusion with the indigenous uh, Jomon, resulting in a small admixture genetically. So, like, they were genetically different. Right. And, like, and they... And they started to mingle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's... That, that period's really cool. It's a really... <laughs> cat is sneezing yeah we don't have the dogs with us today but we do have the cat still right (laughs) but um but yeah so that that's really cool that it seemed like a from what i read and obviously i don't know much about japanese history but from what i read it was a very peaceful intermingling Mm -hmm. of peoples which is odd Mm -hmm. considering most other humanities culture yeah. Um, you know, usually when these other groups come in, they don't really get along so well. But I think it's because I think it's because the uh, Yayoi people had so many other things to like give the Jomon people. You know what I mean? Like the right. Jomon people had the land, right? And then the Yayoi had, and so like yeah, it's really really cool. Um, so the Kofun period is when Japan is unified under one kingdom. The emperor usually expanded through negotiation tactics, kind of like uh, support me and I'll put you in a position of power kind of thing. So that's how Japan was able to unify so quickly. Right. So that's like they unified very, very quickly. And I, that's pretty, pretty cool, I think. Okay, so now we're going to move to classical and feudal Japan, which... Oh, yeah. Okay. So... The most interesting part of <laughs> Japanese history. So from 538, right? To so yeah, 538 to 1185 is a period of a lot of growth in Japan, which that's a long period of time, but like it's it's almost like the growth ne- yeah, never stops. 650 years. Yeah, but the growth like never stops. Like yeah. Yeah. Um a centralized government was created with a constitution. It distinguished the ruler, government ministers, and the people as three human elements making up the state and clearly laid down the duties and rights of each. It thus established the ideal of a centralized state presided over by a single ruler, and it provided a kind of basic law of the nation. It was a here's-how-we're-going-to-run-things kind of document. Uh, Later, they tweak things a bit, and it gets a little bit complex here. Um... But it sets us up for feudal Japan, which is everyone's favorite period in Japanese history. So right. that that's kind of what happens in classical uh, Japanese history. So um, the Ritsu-ryo system, Ritsu, Ritsu-ryo. Ritsu-ryo system refers to the governmental structure defined by Ritsu, um, the criminal code Ryo, uh, the administrative and civil codes. So, like so. Ritsu is the criminal code, mm-hmm. and Ryo is the administrative and civil code. Correct. So basically, the emperor was both a political leader and a religious leader at the time. Since bureaucrats were expected to know both political and religious affairs, they were required to go to college and to pass all kinds of exams. But people who came from a good family were given special favors. 
It was kind of a, a melding of respect for noble birth and training new leaders. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the British Parliament, how they have the House of Commons and the House of Lords, mm-hmm. where the House of Lords is basically just like, you know, like the noble families or whatever that have kind of like were born into it, and then the House of Commons mm-hmm. being like elected positions. Yeah, except these were one and the same person. Instead of having, like... Instead of having two different, it was Mm -hmm. just like, if you're able to make money to go to school and know these things and pass these tests, then you would become noble. Right. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, So, the provinces were divided into three types of administrative divisions. The Kuni, um, the Kori, and the Sato. To be administered by the Kokushi... Gunji and Richo, respectively. So, like, it's province, county, and village, essentially. Mm. It's how it was divided. Um, let's see. The posts of the province um, leaders were filled by members of the central bureaucracy in turn. But the posts of the, um, the county and village were staffed by members of prominent local families. So... It is similar to the House of Commons and House of Lords, except you still had to be of, like, good background. You know what I mean? You still had to be, like, you couldn't just be anybody. Um, So during this time, the people were also divided. This is kind of messed up, so just hang on to your hats. During this time, the people were also divided into free men and slaves. The slaves were the possession of the government. The majority of the free population were farmers, and at the age of six... Each male child was given a paddy, uh, a paddy field that remained his to cultivate for life. A tax was levied on the produce of the paddy, and a head tax was levied on adult males. So the paddy tax was low. It was about 3% of the crop. But the head tax, payable in crafts, such as silk and hemp, imposed a heavy burden. Um, The transport of goods from the provinces to the capital was the responsibility of the tax taxed, which involved an enormous amount of labor for those living in distant parts of the country. Right. So meaning that they would place a tax on your stuff mm-hmm. and not only did you have to send it to them, like you had to take the responsibility of actually yep. shipping it or like getting it to it them there yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So adult males were also required to give military service and to provide labor for public works at the command of the local Kokushi, which is the province leader. Um, so it's not you're not allowed to do more than 60 days per year, but it's still forced labor on top of your forced labor. Like, right. it's weird. Um, so the lowest ranking free men were groups of smiths, tanners, and other engaged in manufacturing. They were mostly um, descendants of those with status who inherited their trades and paid their taxes in the form of manufactured goods or by working in government workshops. So this was a really good time to have a trade. Right. So that's pretty cool. Um, So we'll get into a little bit more about feudal Japan in just a second. So um, later, the ties between... So this is like the early modern period, and this is what a lot of people think of when they think of like feudal Japan. And I think this is this is like your this is going to be your favorite part. Later, the ties between religion and government loosen. Religious figures could not interfere in political matters, but the emperor was still the head of both. The uh, say that again for me. The Ritsu Ryo. Ritsu Ryo changed a bit too. The original system of raising uh, conscript troops from among the peasantry was abolished and soldiers were then selected from among the sons of local officials with uh, martial prowess so this decision is key this essentially cements future samurai this is what creates the samurai this decision this is where they they took their standing army and instead of just like forcing all the poor people to go into it they actually like basically kind of recruited the best fighters from, like, the good families. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So they first established their power in provinces and gradually gathered in or near the capital where they served both the military needs of the state against potential outbreaks of rebellion and as bodyguards for great noble houses. 
Uh, though associated with the aristocracy, they gradually established a foothold at court. Eventually, the emperor becomes simply a figurehead, and the government is run by the shogun, who oversees uh, the daimyo, who are noble lords, and the samurais are soldiers who serve and protect the daimyo. Does that make sense? I think it's daimyo. Daimyo. That makes uh, more maybe sense. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Dia. I'm thinking of my Spanish class, but that's not, this isn't Spanish, so I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so basically that, that simple decision to stop like f- get picking military people from like peasantry and saying, oh, hey, like you're pretty good with this weapon and like you're from a noble family, we'll make you a general or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what creates the samurai. So then who is the shogun? The shogun is the head of the government. And the, it's, a, it's a military government. And so, like, the emperor is the figurehead, and then he commands the shogun. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The shogun actually runs things because it's a military-based country. Right. But the emperor is just kind of like, a, oh, hey, I'm the emperor. Like, right. And okay. he, he, like I said, is more of like a, a symbol. Right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how it that's what you think of whenever you think of like uh, a feudal Japan is this this system right here. Right. Um, so um, so as we all know, there are pockets of intense art flourishing throughout Japanese history. The Edo period, which was from sixteen hundred to eighteen sixty eight, is a time of great prosperity in art. It's also the downfall. That's the time period when the shogun don't like whenever it doesn't have as much. Popularity and the samurai kind of fall. Right. Um, and so, yes, it is pronounced. It's uh, daimyo. Daimyo? Yeah. Okay. The Y actually should come after the N. Oh. Okay, cool. So I thought that was really interesting that, like, it all, that all of the, like, um, the, the samurai actually came from a system, which it makes sense, but it came from a system of, like, criminal codes and civil codes. Right. And then just the one change of being all like, well, we're not we're going to have this be royal family and they eventually like kind of weasel their way into into court and they're like, "Oh, now we're now we're kind of a big deal." Right. So then because the soldiers were of noble blood. Right. So then so then that person that was just above them really has all the power. Mhm. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I thought that was that was really cool. And like I said, this is a brief overview, and I'm not going to cover everything. Okay. So I have one more section, and it's not, a, and it's in World War II, and it's not about something in Japan, but it's about how we royally screwed over Japanese Americans. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's it's going to be fun. Not really. That was sarcasm. So uh, World War II started because Japan sought control of Asia. And the Pacific in 1937, Japan attacked China, and the U.S. didn't didn't get involved until 1941, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. That's like the overview of World War, the start of World War II. Moving on. On February 19th, 1942, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, with the intention of preventing espionage on American shores. So I just imagine someone saying, execute order 9066. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I picture too. <laughs> and then they kill all the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get there. Put a pin in that. Um, military zones were created in California, Washington, and Oregon, states with a large population of Japanese Americans. And Roosevelt's executive order commanded the relocation of Americans of Japanese ancestry. Canada soon followed suit, relocating 21,000 of its Japanese residents from from its west coast. Mexico enacted its own version, and eventually um, a little over 2,000 more people of Japanese descent were removed from Peru, Brazil, Chile, and Argentina to the United States. Mm -hmm. Army-directed evacuations began on March 24th. People had six days, six days, I repeat, notice to dispose of their belongings other than what they could carry. Anyone who was at least one-sixteenth Japanese was evacuated, including 17,000 children under 10. 
as well as several thousand elderly and handicapped. Wow. Yeah. Japanese Americans reported to centers near their homes. From there, they were transported to a relocation center where they might live for months before transfer to a permanent wartime residence. These centers were located in remote areas, often reconfigured fairgrounds and racetracks featuring buildings not meant for human habitation, like horse stalls or cow sheds that had been converted for that purpose. In Portland, Oregon, 3,000 people stayed in the Livestock Pavilion of the Pacific International Livestock Exposition Facilities. That's ridiculous. Yeah. They put people in livestock cages. Yeah. Yeah. In like a horse stall. Yeah. Families. They put a family in a horse. Like, horse stalls are not that big. No. Okay, moving on. So, uh, there were a total of 10 permanent housing camps called relocation centers. Typically, um, some form of barracks. Several families were usually housed together with communal eating areas. Residents that were designated as dissidents were sent to a special camp in Tule Lake, California. Two relocation centers in Arizona were located on Indian reservations, despite the protests of tribal councils who were overruled by um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Each relocation... I prob- I bet that hit real close to home for them, by the way. Mm-hmm. I bet they were like, uh-uh, we're not about this. You're not doing this again. Right. By the way. Each relocation center was its own town featuring schools, post offices, and work facilities, as well as farmland for growing food and keeping livestock, all surrounded by barbed wire and guard towers. <sighs> I didn't learn much about this in high school history. Of course we didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't really a priority to teach some of the horrible things that yeah. the U.S. has done. So I want to point out that George Takei... Spent time in a yes, Japanese... George Takei from uh, Star Trek. Spent time in a Japanese internment camp. Yes. As well as Bob... Uh, his name's not Bob. Shoot. Mr. Miyagi. Really? Yep. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. Yeah. I want to say his name is Bob, but I don't think that's right. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, so... Although... Okay, so... I gotta say. Obviously... What was done here was reprehensible mm-hmm. and terrible. However, oh no, playing devil's advocate here, no, and I don't think it was a good idea by any means. But I would just be interested to see, like, I wish I wish I could like look at events and see like, well, how would how how would things have turned out if we did this instead or didn't do this? Yeah, you know, like. I'd like to see that alternate timeline. Like, what's the worst? Yeah, like, what would have happened had we not done this? Right. If we didn't do this, what would have happened? Yeah. Like, because, I mean, especially, like, Japanese culture is very, like, honor-bound and stuff. So, like, maybe... Yeah, however... If they had this allegiance to their homeland... However, good point. Would that have affected anything? And I'm not saying that... You know, it's a good thing. They're like, oh, we should have locked those up just to be safe or whatever. But, like, no, it was a terrible thing, and it was a horrible thing. Like, I can see how it, ignorance would help would make people make this decision. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I, I really can. And I can, like, as I can, yeah. And I think, too, it's like, I mean, you're, you're, part, you're part native. Yes. Like, so this probably has to hit, hit a little close to home for you, too, because it's like... Cause, one sixteenth, seriously, one yeah. six, all because of where your great 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 grandparents were born. Yeah, and like and it's, it is, like that's wild. intense. That's I just because yeah. like I mean, if it had been like the other foot, like if it had been Native Americans, like well, at one like, point it was. Well, yeah, but I mean, like to like to be that strict, like when it was when it was the Native Americans, it was basically just like. Are you brown and in the tribe? Then you're you're going. Yeah. But I mean, like here, they're actually like researching their their heritage to mm-hmm. make sure and see like how much percent you know yeah. you are. So like, if if I had been alive at that time and it had been Native American, look, I would have gone. Yeah. You know, and I'm not that much Native American. Yeah. But you know, I'm like an eighth. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing, too, is I wonder how many people who, like, had no ties 
to their Japanese heritage were forced to go simply because they looked the part. Because I know it said, like, oh, 116th, but, like, you know racism is a thing. People were like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? I can imagine just some jerk being all like, yeah, right, you're not really. Well, if they were just 116th, they probably didn't look maybe not Japanese. Maybe not. Oh, it's just so sad. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But, so that's kind of what I have for, like, history and all that kind of stuff. And I would like to move on to a happier subject of facts. Yeah, let's do it. So it's just some, some off-the-wall yes. fun facts. I have a ton of these. So I want to go ahead and say, like, all of these facts, except for the last one, came from a blog called um, Wit and Folly. And it's super good. I would highly recommend it. Um, it's a travel blog. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's amazing. Um, okay. So, I had to Google what this word meant. But while Japan is an archi... Archipelago. Archipelago with almost 6,852 islands, only four islands out of all of them make up the majority of Japan's land area. The islands Honshu, uh, Kyushu, and Shikoku are... And... Hokkaido. 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 Account for 97% of the total area of Japan. The main cities like Tokyo Tokyo. and Osaka and... uh, Kyoto. Kyoto are located on Honshu Island. Again, my Japanese is not great. (laughs) But the archi... um, Archipelago. Archipelago. I actually pronounced it a little bit. But it means means like a string of islands, right? (laughs) That's basically... Yeah, it basically is like... A bunch, a, co- I, a, a collection of smaller islands that are really all in the same area. Okay. So, think of Hawaii. That's what I was going to ask. It's like just a bunch of islands, uh-huh. but they're really like all together. Uh-huh. Um, and likely all and the part, of like, part of the same like land mass, mm-hmm. technically. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense. Okay. That makes perfect sense, yeah. actually. Because I, I, I read the definition of it, and I was like, that's basically just a bunch of islands. But that makes more sense that like... At one point in time, they were probably all the same landmass, or they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Like they're they're connected geographically underneath the water. So like if you were to lower the water a little mm-hmm. bit, like they they would all be connected. Yeah, which lowering the water is not going to happen. It's just getting higher. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's like that one. Um, there's like that one documentary where they like. Oh, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, cities that are underwater or whatever, and they yeah. like digitally will like remove. remove the water from it. Yeah, that's After cool. they scan it and then like see how everything. It's on Disney Plus. I can't remember what it's called though. Yeah, I don't know. Draining remember. the Oceans. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's good. So, um, yeah, only four islands make up the majority of Japan's land area. That's the point I was making. So that's surprising. That was surprising to me considering that there are so, like, it looks so big. Like, yeah. Um, Japan is tied with Hong Kong regarding the average life expectancy at 83.6 years. This could have to do with a healthier diet, the commonality of walking as part of the commute, and the familial importance in culture. I don't really see what the familial importance has to do with a longer lifespan. I do. Like, if you're around, like, you have somebody um, close by to take care of you. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, to care for you and to, like... Make sure that you're... Right. You okay, know. I see where you're going there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 69% of Japan is covered in forest. That kind of makes sense. It does. At least from all the anime and stuff that I've watched over the years. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a total of 110 active volta- volcanoes in Japan, 47 of which are actively monitored for the likelihood of eruption. Huh, that seems strange. I never really... I never really knew that there was, like, like volcanoes were such a big deal over there. Me either. Like, or at least, like, in Japan. Like, yeah. That seems like a very high concentration in a very small area. Which, now that you, when we're talking about, like, geography and, like, geological stuff, it makes sense. Because, like, it's probably, like, the islands were probably formed from volcanic eruption. Right, so it kind of makes sense, I guess, that it would create like all these multiple mm-hmm. islands in yeah. the same system if it was a result of these um, <coughs> volcanoes. That makes sense. Activity. 
Yeah, I never thought about that before, but yeah, that's Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, in the same vein, there are more than um, 15... So, what you're saying, basically, is is <laughs> Japan and Hawaii are, like, the same thing, basically. Geographically, yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, they're pretty close to each other, too. Are Rel- they? Relatively. Are they? I mean... <laughs> Closer than most. Closer like, than the moon. It's like, I mean, like if you left and just went like west from Hawaii, I think that's where you hit first. Probably. I mean, I'm, I'm not honestly that great at geography. Closer but. than the moon. That's for sure. But I mean, I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> this, in, this I found interesting. So there are more than 1,500 earthquakes a year. Japan is located. Wait, how many? 1,500. 1,500. 1,500 just in one year Yes, in yes. Dang. Which tracks with like, the volcanoes. Are they like over the whole place or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how so, localized are these? So um, Japan is located on top of or close to four different tectonic plates. Hmm. Like that's a lot, which would make sense with the volcanic activity as well. Right. It all tracks. It all makes sense. Everything's connected. Um. In 1923, Kanto, the Kanto, or wait, the ni- yeah, the 1923 Kanto earthquake was the country's deadliest. It had a magnitude of 7.9, mm. and 140,000 people lost their lives. Okay, so... We circling back? Circling back a little bit. Okay. Back to our geography discussion. Here. Okay. Geography's so, not my thing. Well... I knew general directions, so yeah, Japan... Let's see this. Japan's a little bit farther north, but here's Hawaii, and then there's Japan and California here. So, I mean, Hawaii's like a little bit more, like it's a little closer oh. to the United States, but it's it's kind of almost toward the middle. It's almost in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. North America and Japan. Yeah, okay. It's like... All right, I stand corrected. So, like, if you were to go... North. Like, just go from Hawaii and just head west. North. And, you know, north. Slightly north. <laughs> what is it? Northwest. West by northwest or whatever. Like, west, but just a little bit up. You'd hit Japan first thing. So, if you were drunkenly sailing west. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Okay. Put that on our bucket list. Although, I mean, if you were drunkenly sailing west, you'd probably hit Mexico first. (laughs) That's that's a good point. Or (laughs) Russia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Possibly Australia. You'd probably, you know, end up heading down. Of course, then you'd have to go west. But you'd have a great time, right? Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, like, if you you were drunkenly sailing, sailing west... But you actually could sail a little bit. You'd probably hit Japan first. Okay, cool. So you'd at least be able to see Japan. <laughs> take a sailing lesson and then get drunk and sit. Don't do that. Don't drink and boat. Don't do that. Technically, I don't think that's a thing. It is actually a thing. It is. Don't drink and sail? Yep. It's totally a thing. It sounds fun. Fishing game could like give you a ticket. No. Nah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fishing game, but like they could, yeah. I say not if you're not like. Like there, well, there are police forces like in boats on some places. The Coast Guard. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of like Hawaii Five O stuff. They have boats. I mean, just their police force has some boats. Yeah. Okay, so like Florida could have boats. Yeah, but you don't ever like. That's not a thing. Like I think it's a thing. Don't. Drink and sail or drink and boat or anything like that. I think it's a thing. I've never heard that. I think it's a thing. No. (laughs) It should be a thing if it's not. I have we don't have any lakes around here. If there if we did, I would campaign for it and make it a thing. No, you would not. (laughs) Okay. All right, back to earthquakes. So the deadliest earthquake was in nineteen twenty three. It killed hundred and forty thousand people. But however, and it wasn't, and it had a magnitude of 7.9. However, in 2011, the <coughs> Tohoku earthquake was the strongest at 9.0. Dang. Yeah. Uh, Mount Fuji is the tallest mountain in Japan, and it's a sacred place in the Shinto religion. 
The Sea of Japan has a higher than normal concentration of dissolved oxygen, which allows many uh, different species to flourish in the waters. More than 3,500 animal species, which include about a thousand different kinds of fish, call the Sea of Japan their home. That's interesting. So, why though? Why is there more oxygen in, in the ocean there? I'm gonna I'm gonna just go ahead and say volcanoes. I mean, I don't think you can just say volcanoes for everything. I mean, I, I can. <laughs> I can. I, when I was reading, I found that the Sea of Japan is actually smaller than um, the biggest Michigan lake, whatever that is. Like Erie? I think so. I think that's the biggest one. Yeah. It's actually it smaller than that. also is the only one that I know. So. <laughs> actually, I think one of them is like Lake Michigan. So. Yeah. The Michigan lakes, whatever. The Mitten State. Um, but yeah, it's actually a little bit smaller than that one. Hmm. So it's not like a huge... I mean, it's pretty, pretty big, but, um, but yeah, I, I, again, I'm pretty sure it's volcanoes because like volcanic soil is like super rich and like it provides a lot of vegetation. Why wouldn't that be the same for, I I don't think it's got more oxygen though. I feel like if anything, it would have like more carbon dioxide and sulfur. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, I have another thing that's going to be because volcanoes and it's going to be right. So just hang on. Um, Osaka, so in Osaka, the Hanshin Expressway goes directly through the Gate Tower building's 5th, 6th, and 7th floors. Wait, what? I want to, I want to go see it so bad. So this, this highway goes through a building? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, right? It's so cool. Is this a link to that? Yes, it is. I need to see this. Yeah, it's so cool. Look at it, look at it, look at it. Holy crap. So yeah. it's like a it's like a raised um like highway, like an interstate or something like that. Yeah. And it just it sure does just go straight through a skyscraper. Yeah. How cool is that, right? That is amazing. Um so in reality the workers in the building don't really notice as the walls and floors of the building are soundproof and the highway doesn't actually touch the building. But it just it sure as heck goes straight through it. That's like, could you imagine being the person, like, I don't know what was built first, the building or the expressway. I would hope it would be the building. And then, like, so, I'm sorry, we're going to have to move I you. I bet they built them. I'm sure they built them, like, collectively. Yeah, so it looks like it, it's covered. Because I'm, I'm looking at some more pictures now. It's just like so a. So it's like, it's like a tunnel. <clears throat> um, and then there's just, like, a hole built around it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is kind of separated from the building itself. But that is wild. But could you imagine if the building was first and they're just like, we're sorry, Bob, we're uh, we're going to have to move you to the third floor? If anything, you know, I bet the road was there first. Yeah? yeah. Looking at the construction, that's your, that's your guess? Yeah. It's still really cool. Yeah, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. It's kind of awesome. Okay. I want to go here. <laughs> Japan is the only country in the world with an emperor. Even though the emperor of Japan doesn't hold much power and mostly plays a symbolic role, they're still proud. Um, they are still a proud part of the tradition in Japan. The current emperor of Japan is Naruhito. Um, Naruhito. Hito, who took the position on May 1st, 2019. Um, After his father, Akihito. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was just about to ask her how they pick one so that they it is it is still like probably a familial, yeah, yeah. Um, on December sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven, an episode of Pokemon aired in Japan that actually caused seven hundred children to have medical issues and had to be sent to the hospital. Um, some of the kids even had seizures. The reason for so many kids being affected is strobe lighting. Right. I actually I think I heard about this. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so since Japan geographically stretches from north to south for such a long distance, the climate in different areas of the country tends to be tends to be very variant. Um, the climate in some of the big cities like Tokyo ranges from a um, from temperate temperate to subtropical climate. This means hot summers and mild winters and four different seasons. On the other hand, the climate across the northern island of uh, Hokkaido is much cooler. The summers are nice and mild, but the winter, it gets tons of snow and temperatures drop below freezing. So let's let's skip through some of these because you've got actually a ton. I know, here. I know, I know. So what are some of these that are a little bit more okay, interesting? I see one here that looks a little bit... Go for it. 
You can read it. Let's see. Ow, 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 ow. The first Sunday in April. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Where is that one? Where is that one? Oh, I want to talk about gambling first. Okay. Um, gambling is elite, was illegal in Japan for several years. On In July of 2018, it was legalized in the form of gambling casinos. Even though gambling was illegal for that period of time, people in Japan were still able to gamble in the form of pachinko, which looks like the craziest game of pinball ever. So... You yeah, I've seen like the pachinko yeah. boards or whatever. At, uh, at the pachinko parlor, you would trade in your metal balls that you win for some sort of token, and then you'd go around the corner and like cash your token in. Huh. Um, almost 3.6 million Japanese people have KFC for Christmas dinner. That's... Um, <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to touch on this too much, but go for it. Go for it. Okay. So first, I want to talk about this one for a second. Eating about six percent of the world's fish harvest, Japan is one of the biggest consumers of seafood in the world. Uh, the only country that has a higher consumption of seafood in China, it seafood is China. Uh, in total, this equals to about sixty pounds of seafood consumed by each person every year. That's a lot of seafood. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay, so. Oh, geez. All right. Uh, I was... You want me to say it? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> All right. So the first Sunday in April every year is the Kanemara Matsuri Festival, which is also known as the Penis Festival and also known as the Festival of the Steel Phallus. Content warning. So. Please don't read it. It's really bad. But, I mean, like, what is the festival about? Like, please, why is it a thing? Please don't read it. It's really bad. I read it. Please don't. Please don't read it. It's... The legend is horrible. I was going to gloss over that one. Everyone, you can just Google it. It's it's fine. Okay. So, just Google Penis Festival, I guess, in Japan. It's the It's real bad. Anyways. It's hilarious. And it makes me laugh. Okay, so I, I want to read at least no, the first. Yeah. So when I clicked on this link here, this is a BuzzFeed <laughs> article. Um, and it just says, Every year on the first Sunday of April in Kawa- Kawasaki, Japan, one might cross paths with a peculiar sight. A succession of enormous erect penises parading down the street under the strength of men in traditional female garb. So a bunch of transsexual men... Parading giant erect penises, like like yeah. penis floats, yeah, down the street, yeah. <laughs> and it's date it dates back to the seventeenth century. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let's see. Yeah. Regional tradition dating back to the seventeenth century. I'm sure ser- it's today very... serves as a platform for the benefit of HIV research. Um, so. I'm sure it has a lot of deep cultural meaning, and I don't mean to laugh. I probably no, sh- no. It is hilarious. I shouldn't laugh. Oh my gosh! The legend as to why it was started, though, it's. Anyways, Early moving April on. in Kawasaki, Japan, is <coughs> set aside for the Kanemara Matsuri or the Festival of the Steel Phallus, in which a hundred thousand revelers come here to celebrate one thing: the male organ, home to the. <laughs> Kanayama Jinja Shrine, Kawasaki, southwest of Tokyo, has been closely tied to the male anatomy for centuries due to a persistent local legend, so its famed Shinto Shrine to the relic of a steel phallus was well erected. (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended, I'm sure. Uh, Okay, so legend holds that a jealous... No. 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 All right, all right. No. No. Just moving on. <laughs> Stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, can- I think everyone would love to hear this. No. Uh, All right. Well, just Google the penis festival <laughs> in Japan or the festival of the steel phallus. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This moving on for real. Um, Japanese Kobe beef is famous across the world for its incredible succulence and irreplaceable taste. What makes the meat so unique is the breed of cow that it comes from and how much care goes into taking care of the animals. 
It's said that they're fed beer to help them live happy and stress-free and given massages to help them uh, to keep from cramping. Yeah, I've heard of this. this. It sounds awesome. So I will say, if you ever, if you're thinking about ordering or buying Kobe beef, there's one thing to keep in mind as some people get Wagyu and Kobe mixed up. Wagyu actually just means Japanese cow. So um, Kobe is Wagyu, but not all Wagyu is Kobe. Right. So, um, so in Japan, sumo wrestling has a history of more than 1,500 years. <clears throat> the wrestlers here have an average weight of 300 pounds and are trained... <clears throat> In the Heia rooms handled by former champions. Um, it's actually a Shinto ritual that's supposed to help bring a bountiful harvest and honor um, the spirits. Hmm. Um, oh, so uh, Okunoshima Island is a small island in Hiroshima Prefecture that is an island full of rabbits. <laughs> During World War II, the island was manufacturing site for poisonous gases, and unfortunately they were tested on rabbits. But after World War II, the rabbits escaped, and the descendants of those test rabbits are the ones they see on the island today. I want to go to that island. Don't they also have a, a <clears throat> like a, an island of like cats, dogs, or is cats. it cats? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't find that in this list, but um, uh, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and where is it? Rawfish, gambling. Um, oh, because of Jan- Japan's geographical location and its volcanic activity, the country has about 2,300 onsens, or hot springs, to choose from located all around the country. That makes sense. Yeah. I want to go. Yeah, we definitely need to go to Japan. <clears throat> okay, so this last fact, I wanted to go ahead. Like, this is not from Wit and Folly, but since I did not include it in our comic book episodes, I wanted to go ahead and include it here. A little bit about manga. Okay. Just a little yeah. bit. Cool. Um, so, since I completely forgot it, um, in Japan, people of all ages read manga, and um, the medium includes works of like a broad range of genres. So, like action, adventure, business, and commerce, comedy, detective, drama, like everything. There's romance, science, uh, science fiction, fantasy, erotica, um, and games and suspense. So, tons. Like, <clears throat> um, many are translated into other languages. Uh, since the 1950s, manga has become an increasingly major part of the Japanese publishing industry. And I'm pretty sure manga just means comic in Japanese. I think that's what I read. <clears throat> so, um, by 1995, the manga market in Japan was valued at um, 586.4 billion yen, which is about $7 billion, American dollars. Dang. Yeah. With annual sales of 1.9 billion manga books and manga magazines in Japan. So that's equivalent to 15 issues per person. That's a lot. That's mm-hmm. a ton. Um, <clears throat> manga uh, has also gained a significant worldwide audience in 2008. The U.S. and Canada, um, in the U.S. and Canada, the manga market was valued at 175 million. Which is also a lot for like a foreign, <clears throat> um, yeah. like market for it you know not in japan manga stories are typically printed in black and white uh due to time constraints artistic reasons and such as like coloring would lessen the impact of the artwork and to keep printing costs low although some full color manga exists and that's pretty much what i've got because i I just wanted to touch on it because i know it's a huge part of like comic book right stuff and it's a huge part of culture in japan so okay so that is what I've got for facts. We skipped over some, but we... Yeah, we, we, we've got... We, there are a lot more here. We, we, we touched the good... We got on the good stuff. Yeah, so go check out... Uh, what was it? Wit and Folly? Yeah. Witandfolly.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find some more. Um, but so that's our episode. Uh, Japan is definitely an interesting place. Um, and I really want to go visit one yes. of these days. Um, the first Sunday in April. Yeah, maybe we can time it to where we can be there for the, the festival of the steel phallus. Oh, gosh. Um, but, yeah, definitely want to go by, uh, you know, go over there and check out Japan. It's always been a fascinating place to me. Yeah. Um, it seems really, like, it seems beautiful and just, 
I don't know, overwhelming. We'll have to plan a couple of trips. Yeah, for sure. It would be really, really cool. For sure. Um, So that's our episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I definitely enjoyed talking about it. It Me too. This was cool. Um, Our coffee today, Death Wish Coffee, highly recommend. Um, Other than that, sorry we were late this week. But it was worth it. We laughed. We had a laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hope it was (laughs) worth it to you guys. So uh, go check it out. You can like, share, subscribe our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, others. Yeah. Wherever you find your podcast. Um, And then our host, Podbean. (laughs) Um, also, you can email us anytime at uh, datenightcoffeeshop at gmail.com. Uh, you can send us your suggestions for topics, coffee, um, or you know things for us to do when we go visit Japan. Yep. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at date night at the coffee shop, um, or you can also you know DM us or whatever. Uh, but we're gonna go ahead and, and sign off. Peace out this afternoon yes um so thanks for listening guys thank you guys so much for continuing to support us and thanks um, for being patient yeah thanks for <laughs> for sure about being patient with you know the late publishing of this episode uh, Life, until next man. time you're bart and you're sam All right. bye, bye guys bye.